Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Guess who's back? Back again. Zach is back. History friends. Guess who's back? 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 <laughs> anyway, let's do this. Hello and welcome back. To when diplomacy fails, guys, the state of the podcast address, 31st of July 2016. It has been a really long time. Actually, it's only been a month, but it feels like it's been way, way longer. Although, it's been a really, really good past month, and it's been a really nice uh, series of important events in my life, and I've had a, a great time to kind of recharge my batteries. I've also been working pretty hard in the background because I've been preparing When Diplomacy Fails' calendar, if you like, to release certain episodes and I've also been in touch with certain people to talk about certain things and if this sounds vague it's because you're in for a lot of groundbreaking information in terms of Zach's life for this episode. So I hope you're all ready to begin. As is the usual, uh, these When Diplomacy Fails' state of the podcast addresses aren't scripted. They are basically served by my own ability to take from my notes what I need and and then regurgitate it back to you guys in as coherent a way as possible. So I hope you'll forgive me if we go on a few tangents. I'll do my best to edit this and clean it up, but look at me apologizing and we're back. Only like, what are we back, two minutes and I'm apologizing already? There's my inherent Irishness coming back, guys. Speaking of Irishness, thank you all so much for your feedback on the 1916 Rising. I've been reading all your comments, your emails, your messages, and they're all really appreciated. I'm still alive, which is great, and no one in the IRA or otherwise has sought fit to uh, murder me or kneecap me for my opinions, so that's a nice change in pace, isn't it? Whoever thought free speech was a real thing. Anyway... In this episode, I guess you could say, you know when people say to you, do you want to hear the good news or the bad news? I always choose bad news first, and that's the way we're going to go, so we'll get to what all that means in a little while. But first, I think it's worth 
talking a bit about the structure of When Diplomacy Fails and what we're going to be doing, because most of you expected that we'd just resume Britain Goes to War, like, straight away, because that would make sense, since 1916 was only meant to be, like, a an interim thing to capitalise on the centenary, the real centenary, and then we get back to our usual format. But we don't want to do that, do we? We want to do something else. We want to do something special. We want to do something... When Diplomacy Fails can really sink its teeth into. What could be better to sink one's teeth into, apart from a glorious bar of dairy milk, than Louis XIV, guys? Come on, do you really want me to talk about the First World War or events leading up to it? If you do, then thanks. But wouldn't you rather hear about Louis XIV and all his glory? I mean, that's what I set out to do from the beginning, Ever since I started to do the Thirty Years' War, the plan was to finish with Louis XIV because back then, in 2013, no one had even done anything on Louis XIV. And that's somehow, that's still the case now. I mean, I'm not saying go ahead and do a podcast on Louis XIV because that would really undercut me, but I'm just amazed no one's done anything on him because there's so much to him. There's so many layers to Louis XIV. There's so much aspects of his life that really aren't talked about all that much. When people talk about Louis XIV, they normally just talk about the War of the Spanish Succession or stuff with in that war, such as like Eugene of Savoy and John Churchill, the Duke of Marlborough and the Battle of Blenheim and the Levee en masse and all that kind of stuff. And then they talk about Louis dying and it's almost like that's all Louis XIV did. But wow, like this this era is just, I can't believe no one's done more on it. Sometimes I come across eras in history and I'm like, this is just, it's like coming across a gold mine and there's just no one there and you're kind of looking around in this empty cave with all these glistening diamonds and gems and you're kind of like, hello? Seriously? Really? Am I the first one here? And I know I'm not the first one here, but in podcast terms, it really looks like I am. So with all that being said, it's going to be a really fun series of episodes over the next half year or so as we basically cover everything from the 1660s when... Charles II of Britain and Ireland was restored to the throne, and all the things he did leading up to the Second Anglo-Dutch War from 1665 to 67, all the stuff to do with that and the interactions between him and Louis XIV, his cousin, and everything else that went on in Europe. I'll try and tie it all together as well as I can. And then probably Louis XIV's shining moment, if you like, in European power politics was the outbreak of the Franco-Dutch War in 1672. We'll definitely be building up to that, and you'll really see Louis XIV's kind of aura really coming into the fore as we deal with that conflict, and even the first year of that conflict, guys, is, is worthy of a podcast series all on its own, just for all the things that go on in it, like the heroism, this the cunning, the genius, the things that are at stake that no one is even aware of today, so I really think when you listen to all the things to do with the Second Anglo-Dutch War and the Franco-Dutch War, you'll be well set up for what comes afterwards. The Franco-Dutch War actually drags in everyone else in Europe by its end in 1678, so that by that point everyone's kind of afraid of Louis Fourteenth, or at least somewhat anxious about what he's going to do next, and what he does next is well, it starts a series of small wars up to the point that what's called the Long War breaks out in the mid-1680s. And from the mid-1680s to about 1699, 
Europe is engaged in a series of wars that goes all the way across the continent and it's kind of been nicknamed the Long War in a kind of catch-all term by historians. But within that conflict, there's the Glorious Revolution that sees uh, James II deposed and William of Orange take the the crown of Britain and Ireland as well as, like, of course, have the Netherlands as well in a personal union, which is a big deal. And at the same time, you see conflicts as wide-ranging as the final siege of Vienna by the Ottomans that happens in 1683, but now that all that stuff ties into Europe really well together, so that by the time of the War of the Spanish Succession in 1701, I think it is, what you have is Europe really coming to the center of importance in the world. And before then, it was not so much a toss-up between Europe and the East, but as a result of the final siege of Vienna being beaten back and the Ottomans retreating back, you have a kind of resurgence in Habsburg power in kind of south-central Europe. As a result of that, Christian Europe and the West, if you like, is really able to focus on itself, which, as we know, when Europe focuses on itself, it just means it fights itself in a series of wars for a good while. So that will be kind of... That's really the way that history goes in an arc and that's how we get to the 18th century with all the stuff that happens in the 18th century europe progresses from arguably one of the most conflict laden centuries up to this point in human history the 17th century the 1600s with the 30 years war and and everything else that came after it with the wars of louis the 14th etc to kind of embark on a kind of european golden age with the enlightenment and colonialism reaching its real apex i suppose and of course there's the american revolution in the 17 all like so much stuff is to come but the 1600s is kind of the forgotten bedrock upon which all of european history is really based and my aim with starting it with starting the 30 years war special was really to take the focus onto that bedrock and see how europe at the start of the 1600s became something almost unrecognizable by the 1700s it's been a long story and we've been interrupted many many times from projects i've done ranging from britain goes to war to the july crisis to the 1916 rising but i'd like to think that it's been a fairly straightforward trajectory and that this era of history if not you can understand it because it can be hard to wrap your head around at times you will at least respect it for the impact it has had on us as human beings. If you need a recap, by all means, guys, I'd recommend you go back. If you want, you can go all the way back to episode 21, The War of the League of Cambrai, which was the early 1500s. But for everyone else, if you'd like to start on the Thirty Years' War again to refresh your memory and build your way back up, then you can resume here, because we'll be releasing episodes every week, that will eventually lead us to the end of the 1600s. That's kind of what I wanted to talk about in terms of the structure. I hope it's kind of clear about what I'm planning. If not, by all means, fire me a message and ask. I think I did mention it before, though. This is what I would regard as season three. I mean, we resumed after a long break that we had from the July Crisis Project. And then, in I think it was April or March 2015... We then started the first Anglo-Dutch War and the Swedish Deluges, both of which I really enjoyed doing, but they were stepping stones to get us to this point here. 
they were a lot of work, but I'm so glad I did them because now I'm free to kind of branch out with the story that most of you came here for, which of course is the incredible story of Louis the Fourteenth. And it's not even a story of one man. That's the thing. I mean, my dad saw a book about Louis the Fourteenth the other day on my desk. Of course, I mean, where else would it be? And he said something along the lines of Louis the Fourteenth. Oh, I don't really care about that. And I was like, but Dad, why? Why on earth would you not care? And he said, well, it's mostly French history, isn't it? I don't really care. And after I did a suitable amount of dramatic gasping, I got to the point where I basically said, yes, Louis Fourteenth is French, but the impact he has on so many other countries and so many other individuals and the stories that his massive mistakes or ambitions cause and create are just, they are, again, worthy of a podcast series or a Netflix series or a film in themselves. People talk about Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is great. I just can't believe they haven't made a series on Louis Fourteenth, guys. Seriously. I mean, we have Vikings, for crying out loud. Supernatural Vikings with amazing haircuts. But we don't have Louis Fourteenth with the most impressive nose in all of history. How is that the case? Anyway, I'm getting off topic. What I would like to say, just to conclude this section of the State of the Podcast address, is that I'm very happy to be getting back to When Diplomacy Fails' roots, if you like. The kind of stories that always drew me in, but no one else seemed to be covering. And now I have the chance to resume them. And of course, I am suitably excited. Fire me a message if you want to know more, but tomorrow is when the very first episode of suppose the second half of season three comes out. I don't want to be too convoluted, but that is what you could call it. And then we'll be on our way. This is the kind of story it won't end until 1699 or so, and I'm not really sure what I'm going to do then. But this is the kind of era that I've been stuck in since 2013, and there's an awful lot left to go, even though we've done loads already. So yeah, I hope you'll be along for the ride. Now... With that being said, it's time to actually get down to the real purpose of this State of the Podcast address. The good news and the bad news. Like I said at the start, whenever people present me with this choice, I always choose the bad news. Because in my mind, when you hear something bad, it can often be offset by the good news. Or at least, what are you going to remember most? Unless the bad news is really bad, you're going to remember the last thing you were told. So if it's good news, then... You'll remember the good news. If it's bad news you hear last, you'll remember the bad news more. This makes no sense, but that's how I try to rationalise it when I was thinking of what to tell you guys first. I also think it makes hearing the good news that much more special. Because let me just tell you, in case you're worried, there's a lot more good news than bad news. So, gosh darn it, Zach. What is this news? Well, here's the bad news. I know you guys have been really rooting for me. I know you guys have been right behind me, and it's been amazing the support I've gotten over the last few months. Since I found out I'd been accepted by Cambridge and by Oxford, I'd been basically trying to scramble my resources, scramble scholarships, find any way possible to get into those esteemed centres of learning to do what I've always dreamed I would want to do in my life, a PhD in history. This is your official notice, guys, to let you know that I did not get the funding for Cambridge. Um, Am I upset? Well, yes and no. And the no aspect is covered by the good news. 
But obviously, it's a bit of a kick because I had gotten this far and I had worked really hard. And to be honest, the worst part of it was the waiting over the past six months. All I've done is wait for word from these places, the places I've applied to for scholarships. I had three big ones that I applied to. And it just, you know what, it's just like they say yes, but they're only willing to get you so far. I accept that you have to pay to get into these places, but it just seems like money is the thing that makes them go round. And it kind of, it left a bad taste in my mouth, but it was also, maybe it was a dose of reality that I needed. I'm not saying I'll never get into them or try again, but I think this really showed me that I can't rely on scholarships to get into a place like Cambridge. I have to either make my own way to get there or forge a realistic agreement with another party to get me there, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the times people have sent me emails or messages saying, how's it going with Cambridge? And I apologize if you're one of those people listening and you know that I've ignored you. It's mainly because I just, I didn't have the heart to tell you that I didn't get it. And I know that's ridiculous because you have to be honest, all that kind of thing. But I had this overwhelming feeling in the few days afterwards that I just let so many people down and I know that's not realistic and it's not fair to blame yourself on things that happen miles away from you in closed rooms between like boardrooms of people that have never met you or anything like that. It's just, to me, I always prided myself on overcoming people's expectations. Like when my leaving cert didn't go the right way and I didn't think I was going to get anywhere and people were talking about what they were doing and their degrees and all that stuff. And I got into a post-leaving cert course, which is kind of not looked down upon, but not seen as kind of the normal, like, course you would go along. But I made that into a great thing, and I proved everyone wrong when I got into UCD with nine out of nine distinctions, which was amazing. And then when I was starting the podcast, I got, like, some negative feedback, and I thought, you know what, screw this, I'm not going to do this anymore, because people are being mean or whatever. But I went, I kept on going with it, and then I made it into what it is today, and I'm so proud of when diplomacy fails now. And then for my dissertation, when I was developing the, the, the kind of idea for that, I was told in front of a class of like 30 of my peers, don't be ridiculous, Sack. How could you think that this is an acceptable thing to do? Don't be so ridiculous. Like, you'll never be able to cover this in the attention that it deserves. And I thought to myself, after I'd stopped going red and like just basically sat there quietly in my seat... I thought to myself, rather than be like, oh, this is really unfair, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. And I did. And I got an award for my dissertation. And that's really a big part of what helped me get accepted into Cambridge. So that whole rant back there, that's basically to show you that I thought lightning was going to strike again. I thought that despite the odds against me with scholarships and people saying that it's really competitive, etc., I thought I would just get in. And because of that, I think... I wasn't lulled into a false sense of security, but I certainly thought it was going to be easier because, hey, it's me. So I was a lot more confident than maybe I should have been, and I didn't really have a plan B when it came down to it either, which made me doubly panicked. But yeah, so I am sorry if you guys were kind of looking forward to following my adventure through Cambridge. I'm not saying that there won't be an adventure, maybe just not for right now. As of right now, the 31st of July, I mean, it's kind of it, it's kind of bittersweet in a way because I know it's for the best and I'll explain why in a bit, but the 31st of July was the closing date on my online application and 
in a few hours it's going to click off and say oh you didn't apply in time and now it's automatically shutting down and that's going to be that is going to be hard to take because it's like the end of well my dream really for the moment i thought it would be like the straightforward kind of thing where you get accepted you get in and then you live the dream but i think part of growing up is realizing that there's more than one way to your dream and that if one road doesn't lead there there's always side roads or back alleys or that kind of that sounds really dodgy but there's always different ways to get there do you know like it's not the case that just because i didn't get it i'm gonna give up now and lie down and just cry sometimes i want to but that's not realistic if i want to do it i will do it and deep down i still really want to do a phd in cambridge so i will whether it's next year or the year after so that's the bad news. That's the guts of it, really. And you can probably see why I kind of hesitated. I was supposed to do this State of the Podcast address like a month ago. I mean, I found out that I didn't get the funding on the 14th of July, but I was so devastated. Like, you can't talk about things when they're that raw. You just can't. It's too hard. You can't. I couldn't rationalize it to you and say, hey, this is really terrible, but I know what I'm doing next. Because I didn't. I really didn't. I thought that like I was nearly inconsolable even though I knew like those scholarships were supposed to get back to me and they were so late getting back to me and I promised myself when I was going through all that I'll never go through this again because all this stress and waiting on people who are at the other end of an email like I don't know if you've ever been in that position where the only thing you can do is wait for someone to get back to you and you have to get on with your life at the same time it's horrible especially when you put so much into it and you tell so many people what you're going to do in your life and all that it depends upon is someone saying yes or no in an email. I'm never going to put myself in that position again. I promised myself that like a day or two before I got the final no to my third scholarship. I promised myself I was never going to put myself under that much pressure again because it's not worth it. It's just not. And with that being said, it's time for the good news because, hey, we all need a, a mood lift right now. So what is this good news? Well, there's three parts to it, so I'll do my very best to make this as condensed as I possibly can. Zach Twomley got a new job. I think the thing I was worried about most when I saw that it was a no to Cambridge was, oh God, I'm going to be stuck in Costa Coffee for the rest of my life. Because I was stuck in this awkward catch-22 position where everyone who teaches history at an academic level needs a PhD, right? That makes sense, okay? But in order to get a PhD, you need money. In order to get money, you need to work. So you need a job, but the job I had in Costa Coffee doesn't pay enough, and it's soul-destroying because I've been there for over three years and I need to get out. But I can't get any other job because no one wants someone with a history master's, it seems. I have looked, trust me. It's very hard to find work with this. So in the aftermath of being told no by all these scholarships, I was trying to reconcile myself to the fact that, like, even after all I've done, and even after I've come this far, I still can't seem to get anything for all my hard work. And that, to me, struck me as really unfair. And I think even more than being upset about them saying no about Cambridge, I was more upset that, like, I'm 24 years old, and I can't work in a coffee shop for the rest of my life, can I? Like, what will I do? I need something else. I need something more fulfilling. And that's where this job came along. 
What is the job? Well, that's a good question. It's in Starbucks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Imagine. No, the job is in a fairly prestigious charity, actually, but you probably haven't heard of it. It's called the Leprosy Mission. The it's in it's based in Ireland, uh, Sandyford in in County Dublin, to be precise. And the role it's a paid role. It is a researcher and a policy media relations manager, and there's. There's no real easy way to describe this. It'd be amazing if I could just say, I'm an accountant, and leave it at that, but that wouldn't be like Zach at all. That wouldn't be the kind of thing Zach does, would it? Basically, if I could make it... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com simple because this is the way i try to rationalize it in my head the leprosy mission need to expand they're looking for a guy who has the ability to disseminate a load of information and then make it make sense and make it easy to access to the people that work in the leprosy mission so that when those people within the leprosy mission go out to kind of spread the word or or contact new people or potential investors or sponsors or corporate donors etc they know the issues on the ground because I'll have researched them already. They'll know what the issues are in other countries and where the leprosy mission can help, which is really the key thing. And I know what you're thinking. This is what I was thinking. Leprosy? Isn't leprosy, like, not an issue anymore? And yes, to the vast majority of the world's population, leprosy is not an issue. Leprosy only affects the very poorest of the poor in, like, Places that are so poor you wouldn't even imagine that they still exist in this day and age, but they do. The problem with leprosy is the same as it was like thousands of years ago in biblical times. Leprosy creates this stigma and separates people from their families and from their communities because they, the people that get it are stigmatized as unclean and they're damaged, their nerves are damaged, their, their psyche is damaged and they don't feel like they can provide for their families or be like visible in the community because they are heavily stigmatized and shamed really 
the leprosy mission seeks to change all this, not just by funding ways to get the cure out to people who really need it, but, but also by reaching these communities and giving them what they actually need, rather than like building a random school or something like that and then leaving. The idea is to help people where they are and make their lives better through that. And my job as a researcher will be to contribute towards that and ensure that whenever people from the leprosy mission meet people in like corporate meetings or anything like that, and they try to persuade these people to invest or help out monetarily or or spread the word or whatever, every issue that could be known or argued is already investigated by me. Think of it this way. If a professor of a university is writing a book, a history book, he'll need someone to research for him so that he knows the major issues and he knows what the arguments for and against his ideas within the book are going to be. At the end, the end result is a new book with these new ideas and new theories that have been thoroughly researched and argued by a team of people. That's kind of like what I'm doing, except instead of it being a team of people, it's just me. And instead of it being a book as the end result, the end result in this case is the potential to help millions of people in their lives out of poverty or achieve a better standard of living overcome their stigmas and do what they want to do in their lives with the help of the leprosy mission. I'm going to put up more information about it on the blog. I don't want to gush too much about it, but it's a great organization, guys. It really is. It does good work, but work that for so long has not really been talked about. This organization was founded in the 1870s. It was a colonial institution and it was made and set up by a Christian guy called Wellesley Bailey in 1874 and he basically walked among people in really poor parts of India and Asia and elsewhere and decided that these people who were cut off from the world needed help and the rest is history I suppose ever since then the organization has been growing but mostly behind the scenes and because it wants to expand to help more people now the higher ups of the leprosy mission if you like have decided that the time has come to stop doing things behind the scenes which is hard for most of them to accept, really. I mean, in order to get out there, people have to know who you are. And some people do know what the leprosy mission does and is and the work that it's done, which is great. But more often than not, nine times out of ten, you say the leprosy mission and the first response you get is, oh, I thought that was, like, eradicated ages ago. And then, of course, you have to explain that it wasn't, etc., etc. But yeah, researcher in the leprosy mission. So why am I so excited about this job? What makes this job so great? Well, if you remember back to that comparison I made for the history researcher and making a book and all that stuff, that's kind of in line with what makes it so great. Think of it this way. In order to find out things and like be an expert and research on loads of different areas, you have to actually read and take notes and absorb a lot of information, read a lot of books, read a lot of articles, all that kind of thing, and build up a bank of information on a topic before disseminating that information to the people that need to hear it. Why does that sound familiar? That's because it's what I do as a podcaster and it's what I have done during my degrees. And that's what people talk about when they say transferable skills. These are the kind of skills that really are actually surprisingly hard to master and hard to find in people. But the problem is at the same time, as hard as those skills are to find, the jobs that would employ them or say that they would claim to need them 
are also hard to find. So you get people with all these hard-to-find skills looking for jobs that are also hard to find, and, well, you can see the problem. But in my case, it's great, because all the issues that go along with needing to know what's going on on the ground in the poorest of the poor countries are issues that profoundly interest me, such as, like, global politics, current affairs, uh, international aid, human rights, global justice, even the history of countries in particular... It really will come into it. And you know what? Because the role is new, it's brand new, it's been created for the very purpose of expansion, and this guy tracked me down. And here I am now because of it. I will be able to make this role my own. I will be able to grow into this role and make it amazing and help so many people and develop in this company as a kind of, hopefully, mature human being who gets his hands and feet on the rungs of the professional ladder but it's more than just having a job and helping a good cause it's really to me the more I look at this position and everything else that goes along with it the more I think to myself how perfect is it like it's so perfect for me all the things that you do within this job they're all stuff that I love to do and have done in my spare time or in my academic life in the past, and now I'll be getting paid for it. And, sweet lord, you can work from home. Like, working from home is one of the primary places I will be when doing this. Working from home, are you serious? That's what I do all the time. Come on. Could it be any more suited for me? I don't think so. Is it going to be challenging? Is it going to be tough to settle into this? Sure, of course it will. It's a new job. Never been done before. There'll be a lot of expectations, a good bit of pressure on top of me to succeed. But I'm ready for this. I really am. I'm going to invest all my energies into this job. All my frustrations, all the things that didn't go my way. I'm going to pour myself into this. And I know I can make a good go of it. And while I'm doing this, while I'm working at this, it's not a 9-to-5 job. It's a job that I will work at in my time at home or in their offices. It's optional to come in. Isn't that amazing? And before long, I feel like I'll have carved out a niche for myself in this job. And I will make myself both good and professional to work with, but also indispensable to this organization. Just like I've carved a niche out for myself in history podcasting, or I like to think I have anyway. I want lightning to strike twice in that sense, and I really feel like I'm in the right position now to make this job work. So when do I start? I start mid-September, the 12th of September. So keep me in your mind and your thoughts and your prayers. And my last day of Costa Coffee, my last day being a barista and... Telling people to have a nice day is the 31st of August. So on that day, whatever you're doing on that day, if you're listening to this on that day, then give a little pat on the back to yourself because you are a part of why Zach is no longer working in Costa Coffee. So thank you very much because without you guys, I never would have had this podcast. I never would have had the opportunities to look beyond my comfort zone and I never would have got this job so thank you I can't wait to start I really can't bet you couldn't tell how excited I am (laughs) and more information will be ready as I get it and as I settle into this job but of course check the blog for more detailed explanations of what the leprosy mission does and is and 
if you like even, how you can help if you're interested in that kind of thing. But yeah, so that's the first part of my good news. And now for the second part. How do you feel about reading? Because I have been offered a book deal. And I don't mean I've been offered a book deal and it's kind of in the running. I mean, my book is coming out in January 2017. And I'm going to have future books coming out after that as well. What books are they? Well, my first book will be a kind of expanded version of my dissertation. For those of you that don't remember, I did a dissertation on the Code of Honor, Britain and its decision to enter the First World War. And that was about a year ago now. It got an award and it was very well received, but I had to cut loads of bits out of it and all that kind of thing, and I wasn't too happy with that. And I actually didn't expect to get the award at all, but there you go. And a few weeks or so after that, I got in contact... Well, actually, he contacted me because I'm just so popular. Vincent from Winged Hussar Publishing. How cool is that? Winged Hussar Publishing. Check them out. They do amazing work. But Vincent contacted me and said he'd be interested in publishing not just this dissertation on an expanded level with all the things going along with it, like those extra chapters, the preface, the extended footnotes, all that kind of jazz. But he also wants to publish all those scripts that I've just got lying in my computer hard drive that are just waiting to be read by poor fools like yourselves. All that work that I've done that's just sitting there that could be read and could even benefit people. He says he wants to publish that too. How amazing is that? Now, I've signed the contract for the dissertation and I haven't signed the contract for the Thirty Years' War or... 1916 or the After Westphalia series which is actually what I'm doing now and those will constitute books in themselves so after this one coming out in January I should have three more coming out in the future which is very exciting and look at it this way people always say that if you want to get into academia you have to have a record in publishing or have like works that back you up and and now I'll have them it's so great How about that, guys? Zach Twomley will soon be an official author. And hey, some royalties would be nice as well, if you don't mind. So yeah, the second part of my good news is pretty damn good as well. It's all coming up, Zach. So the third part of good news is... I mean, I think it's good news, but it depends on your kind of take on it. I am strongly, strongly considering the possibility of launching a new show, a new podcast altogether separate from When Diplomacy Fails. Now, if you, like my mom, are wondering how on earth I would have the time to have a new show while starting a new job, then you're not you're not wrong. It will take a lot of work, but I should clarify what exactly this new show is going to be. You might have noticed over the past month or so, a lot of stuff has happened in the wider world. Between Brexit and the Turkish coup and all this kind of stuff all over Europe. People talking about the Eurozone breaking apart. They're talking about there's going to be a a poll in Ireland for a united Ireland, which is complete and utter rubbish. I don't see that happening at all. But there's a lot of talk and a lot of change. And above all, a lot of stuff is happening in current affairs. So having said all that... I've really been motivated to look into the idea of starting a new podcast on current affairs. It'll be released every week, and the podcast will be called The Weekly Fail. It'll be a sister show of When Diplomacy Fails, or a brother show, or other show if you want to be like 
equal, blah, blah, blah. And it's going to retain my style and my kind of humor. It will cover things that have happened in current affairs, geopolitics, all that kind of stuff throughout the week. At the risk of getting too bogged down in the details, I plan on having a kind of survey of what has happened over the past week in those areas and my kind of take on them. And I'll do something along the lines of the biggest failure and then I'll explain who I feel like lost out the most, whether it's a political figure or a country or what have you. And there's also another aspect to the weekly fail. I suppose I can start calling it by its actual name now. There's another part to the weekly fail. It will mostly cover Western, like, civilization, in, like because that's what I'd be most interested in. I mean, other things might come into it by proxy or by default as we go along, but that's the end result, really, is that the things that occur in the Western Hemisphere will be covered by me. But things that happen in America, I'm going to be accessing the help of some friends I have in America. Above all, I've contacted Tom Daly of American Biography and a fellow Agora member because I feel like he's best positioned to really talk to me about things that have happened in America as they happen. Tom Daly's a great guy, and if you haven't checked out his American Biography podcast, you absolutely should, but the idea is that I'd have an American correspondent, if you like, that I'd talk to at some point, maybe twice a month at the moment we're talking about, And he would kind of let me know what the latest news is in America. And you might think, oh, well, how would I not know? And look at it this way. I mean, my listeners living in America right now, you might know the overall broad scope of what happens in, like, Europe or something that happened in Ireland or Brexit, for example. But you won't know, like, the regional details of, like, this guy said this about this country or something like that. Or, like, on a smaller kind of basis. Like, for example... In Ireland at the moment, the country is all talking about the fact that a load of the bankers that were responsible for the recession, the kind of the collapse of all the banks, a lot of them have been arrested and sent to prison, which is a big deal for Ireland's so-called justice system. Woohoo, one for the little guy. But that's an example. I mean, I could give you guys a unique window into Ireland, small as it is, just like I hope Tom Daly would be able to give me a window into kind of regional America if you like, and maybe even tell us what Canada or Mexico or the like is doing if he feels up to it. But yeah, so if anyone would be interested in being an American correspondent, I'd love to hear from you because I have Tom Daly for possibly two out of the potential four episodes a month I'll be doing because the idea is to do it weekly, of course. But I would need then two more people to, or even just one who has enough free time to talk to me twice a month. The idea being that if I get enough help with this, the people that do help out won't have to do so much work. It'll be a casual, free-flowing conversation about things that happened, and if you think you would like to take part, then by all means contact me. If it sounds like something you'd be interested in, if you'd like to cut your teeth and this kind of thing, then please do get in contact with me. I don't need a CV or any of that crap. Just be a nice person and don't have too strong views on the subject, because yes... We will probably run into problems if we try to be too controversial or anything like that. But hey, that's part of the fun. I don't want to give you like a a biased version of what's happened. I want to present you with the facts of current affairs over the last week. That's what the weekly fail will seek to do. And if it works, I feel like it could be a really good accompaniment to when diplomacy fails. But that it could also be a kind of 
great outlet for me because I love current affairs and it bleeds so well into history and diplomacy and all that kind of stuff because it's still so relevant today. So yeah, the third part of good news is that the weekly fail may soon be a part of your podcast feed, just in case you couldn't get enough of Zach Twomley. So yeah, that's the guts of what I want to talk about. To recap, When Diplomacy Fails is soon going to be looking at Louis XIV's era as a whole. The good news and the bad news. The bad news is I'm not going to Cambridge because I didn't get the funding. But the good news is that's okay because I have a great job lined up for me that I'm going to really make my own and I'm very excited to start. I have a book deal lined up that will see Zach Twomley released into the publishing world for the first time, which is very exciting as well. And by the looks of things, I'm going to be releasing a new podcast. So, yeah, I'm going to be very busy. And when I put it this way, I mean, how much does the good outweigh the bad? I can barely even remember being upset about Cambridge now. And it's not like I can never go. It just means I have all this stuff to do instead. And to me, looking at it objectively, all this stuff is so much better than Cambridge. Even in a kind of more personal note, I'm getting married in May 2017, and for a long time I thought that that would be okay, that I'd still be able to go to Cambridge, but how much more sense does this make? I have all this stuff lined up, and now I'll be settling into a secure job for the first few years of my marriage, and I'll be able to plan ahead then for the PhD I want to do, rather than uprooting myself and Anna's life, and having the first year of our marriage being hard, and Being in an unfamiliar country, surrounded by loads of British people, and I'm just kidding. (laughs) But yeah, you see what I mean. It's going to be so much better doing it this way than doing Cambridge. I don't know how I didn't see that before. I think I was just blinded by the dream, if you like. But now I have a new dream, and looking at it in terms of Zach's life on a personal and professional level, I think this dream makes far more sense. Look at it this way. I'm still young. I'm 24 years old. I have the rest of my life to do the PhD that I still very much want to do. There's nothing stopping me from doing it except money. I got accepted once to Cambridge and to Oxford. I can get accepted again, I feel. So I'm not too worried. I'm excited more than worried. And the more I think about it, the more I feel like it makes sense. I'm set up. I'm secure. I know what I'm doing now. And sometimes having that certainty is better than jumping headlong into something really unfamiliar and potentially destabilizing for something like marriage and something important like setting up your personal life. It also means that the podcast won't suffer, which to me, sometimes I wonder (laughs) which I prioritize more, but it's great to think that the podcast isn't going to suffer over the next few years. And I think because of that, I was thinking of going into Britain Goes to War because it would be a natural progression, but now that I'm not being rushed into doing Cambridge or doing the the dissertation in that PhD that I thought I was going to do, I thought, hey, why not? Instead of doing Britain Goes to War, I'll do what I really love to do more than anything else, which is Louis XIV. That's not to say I don't love Britain Goes to War, but you know what I mean? Sometimes Louis XIV just has a a certain pull that not even Gladstone could match. Yeah, so I hope that kind of wraps everything up. I probably should mention as well, I don't know how I forgot to mention this, but in case you weren't aware, I've tried to break into YouTube as well. I've released two videos so far, one of them called Five Times Diplomacy Failed in History, another one called Five Forgotten Facts About the Second World War. 
I was quite proud with how they went. They have very few views, but it's a learning process. They're basically glorified slideshows, but they're nicely produced, I'd like to think. And they're a great way to kind of break into the sort of documentary media producing world that I want to be a part of. I have lots of ambitions, guys, and... The expansion of this podcast, a potential new podcast on the way, the the book deal, all the things I'm going to learn in this new job, they're all going to be very important parts of making Zach Twomley into a, a better, maybe more employable person in the future. Will I enter into academia? Perhaps. But for now, I'm content to just be your history podcast host. So thanks very much for listening. I hope I didn't bore you guys too much. I'll edit this a bit, so hopefully it won't be too rambly and too long. But yeah, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope you'll join me tomorrow as we take off the new season of When Diplomacy Fails with a bang. As we look at the second Anglo-Dutch war. So thanks very much for listening. And... Please get in contact with me through the usual channels, wdfpodcast at hotmail.com, and talk to me on the Facebook page, When Diplomacy Fails. Have a wondrous day and evening, and I will see you soon. Bye now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.